Good morning, everyone. My name is Ezriana Prilo, and I'm here to welcome you to campus worship this morning. Uh, campus worship. This is a space where we are gathered to worship in a variety of styles. Also, just so you know, if this doesn't appeal to you, we also have combo breakout groups that happen at the same time as campus worship. Uh, these combo breakout groups are different things, uh, different topics that you can talk about with uh, different staff members and students during this time. As a reminder, in this space, we'll be wearing masks even when singing. Also, if you look behind me, you'll see the variety of breakout groups that we have at this time. Uh, please look at them and maybe think about joining one uh, in two weeks when we have them again. Um, just so you know, today uh, we are going to be focusing on Jesus is Nice and Other Lies I Learned in Church with pastor and author Melissa Flora Bixler. Next, we will have some praise songs with Alyssa. Is it on? Yeah. Um, good morning, everyone. Sorry. Oh, thank you for saying it back. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. Um, this morning, we're going to be worshiping um, karaoke style. <laughs> so if I could get the YouTube videos, that'd be great. It's lovely to see so many faces today. <laughs> If anyone has any interest at all in uh, playing along with our services uh, instrumentally, please let us know. We would love to have you as a resource for us. <laughs> um, and it would be great if, yeah, if you could serve alongside of us, it'd be awesome. The, uh, the YouTube video is actually linked in the title if you wanna click that, you're good. <laughs> okay, so if you all will stand and sing with me. <laughs> Oh, my soul. 
worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes so bless the to the Lord. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you, tech people. You guys are awesome. <laughs> uh, next, we'll be singing I'll Give Thanks. In the morning, you sing over me. I receive your mercy Your faithfulness is clear to see It's constant every day In the morning you sing over me And I receive your mercy Your faithfulness is clear to see. It's constant every day. Every breath I breathe, an invitation to believe you are creating something good. Though your season doesn't tell my story, I know you'll move mountains for me. You're just that good. So I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough. Cause he's more than enough. 
so I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough cause he's more than enough and he knows what I need oh he knows what we I choose to believe you're working in the waiting. Though the future isn't clear to me, no, I trust you anyway. Every breath I breathe, an invitation to believe we are creating something good oh, though this season doesn't tell my story i know you'll move mountains for me you're just that good so i'll give thanks to god when i don't have enough because he's more than So I'll give thanks to God when I don't have enough, cause he's more than enough, and he knows what I need, oh, he always knows what I need, oh, so why do I worry, why So why do I worry? Why do I worry? Why do I worry? God knows what I need. So why do I worry? Why do I worry? Why do I worry? God knows what I need. So I will praise you, God. He's more than enough, and He knows what I need, so I will praise you, God, when I don't have enough, cause He's more than enough, and He knows what I need, when I don't have enough, cause He's more than enough, and He knows what I need. because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of, his, of the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 717.
think. I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> thank you all for worshiping. <laughs> um, thank you, tech people. That was awesome. <laughs> God bless you all. Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 17, chapter Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 36. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed from all their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when, who, when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who, are, who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that of you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good for you, what credit is that, what credit is that for you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend those for whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again, but love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Good morning. I'm Peter Dula from the Bible and Religion Department. Uh, this morning, I have the distinct honor of introducing Reverend Melissa Floor Bixler to you. Uh, many of you have heard her yesterday and have heard her introduced. Uh, you know that she is the pastor of Raleigh Mennonite Church in North Carolina. She is the author of many articles in places like Christian Century and Sojourners and of two books, one called Fire by Night, a collection of essays on the Old Testament, and the new one, which just came out a couple months ago, called How to Have an Enemy. 
She's also a community leader. She's part of the steering committee of One Wake, which is a broad-based organizing effort in North Carolina, and also the state chair of L'Arche in North Carolina. All those things are really important for you to know. Um, but the, the thing I'd like to say is that I've known Melissa now for almost 20 years uh, since she was an entering divinity student and I was a leaving divinity student um, back when I think she was probably reading me more than I was reading her and now uh, I've been an avid reader of her books and I've been delighted to see those spaces reversed. Um, I have known in my life a million pastors and a million scholars and a lot of activists and I know very, very few people uh, who combine those three tasks as seamlessly and gracefully as Melissa. And so I'm thrilled that you've come to hear her talk about uh, her sort of vision for a church that can be a radical space of safety uh, without necessarily being nice. The title today is Jesus is not nice and other lies I learned. Jesus is nice and other lies I learned in church. Welcome, Melissa. Yeah, and if you ever want to hear some stories about the times when um, Peter wore cowboy boots on the regular, um, just uh, reach out to me. Had a lot more hair as well, but um, it's the reward you get for this nice introduction. So um, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. So a couple years ago, uh, Pastor Jeremy Shuey got into the pulpit one Sunday to preach on Psalm 15. Uh, and he was struck by one phrase in particular. This is what the psalm said. Um, do not lend money at interest and do not take a bribe against the innocent. Does anyone in here have student loans? Just, yeah, okay, just, um, you might just commit that verse to memory, Psalm 15, five. Um, and, and like many pastors, um, Shuey could see this, there was a division of generational debt in his congregation. There were a lot of people uh, who were comfortable in their finances and just a lot of people who struggled to make ends meet. They had regular jobs, they, you know, this, but debt was the thing that was like really holding them in this place of harm. What if the church matched them up? What if people who didn't have debt, had a lot of sort of extra money, could help pay off the debts of people with loans in the congregation? And so, Boldly, without any sort of preparation, uh, Jeremy uh, made this request in the sermon. He had the ushers hand out these little slips of paper and ask people to write down the word debt or jubilee. And next to it, the amount they owed as burdensome debt, like debt that makes it like hard to emotionally or even you know, get through their lives. And then on the amount they could give away. 
Uh, Jeremy collected these slips of paper, and at the end of the service, he was stunned. Um, with about one minute of contemplation to write down a number, the church had pledged $50,000 towards congregational debt relief. In most churches, um, we have come to accept that debt is normative. It's a burden by some that most of us hold in secret as a cost of living. I am fascinated by debt, um, both because I have it, a lot of it, and because it's this theme that runs throughout the Bible. Um, I once heard uh, the preacher Barbara Brown Taylor say that we need a green letter Bible. Have you all heard of like red letter Bibles with Jesus? Well, she was saying we needed a green letter Bible that highlighted all the places that talked about money in the Bible. And if you did that, you would be overwhelmed with greened in text. Because money is by far the subject most discussed in the New Testament. So today we hear this story that talks a lot about debt. Uh, Jesus descends from this high place, he sees these crowds, and he begins to speak. And these are people in need. Um, they come with their sick, people possessed by unclean spirits. You can just imagine these crowds of the sick and the poor reaching out to Jesus. And then Jesus shifts his gaze to the disciples and he divides up the world. Blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep when people hate you. You may remember a similar list like this in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, all of that sounds familiar, but then Luke is different because Luke goes on. Woe to you who are rich for you have received consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Poor and rich, hungry and full, weeping and laughter, reviled, respected. And then Jesus gives instructions about the form of life for this group he's identified. Uh, you who listen. Anyone who's still here with me, you who are listening. Uh, this next part, he says, is for you. We can hear who these people are woven into the instructions themselves. These are people with enemies. People hate them. People with power over them strike them on the face and take away their clothes without consequence. Jesus tells them that these are people who will beg for food and others who take from them without returning. In other words, Jesus describes the people he just said are blessed. The people who live under the shadow of the oppressive, coercive power of the Roman Empire. And these are the people who end up following Jesus. These are the people for whom Jesus' words are good news, who Jesus is offering a new kind of life. Uh, this life will remove them from these cycles of destitution and violence that mark their lives because nothing is healed in retribution. Nothing is made whole in vengeance. 
And we will not build the world we long for by hoarding what we have. Jesus tells them that only love can do that. Only love can do that. Love is one of the most slippery words that Christians use. (laughs) I have watched the word love misused a thousand different ways in the church. I have watched the word love used to keep someone from leaving an abusive marriage. I have heard love cited as the reason not to confront harmful behavior. Uh, The Dominican friar Herbert McCabe warns us of love's power to dull and silence. The gospel of love, he writes, can safely be preached to those in power. For to them, it will just mean philanthropy and soup for the deserving poor. It can be profitably preached to the workers, for it will emasculate their struggle and induce them to bear their fate with Christian resignation. McCabe is thinking and writing these words in the center of the English worker struggle, but we can sense our own danger here within the racially formed social order of the United States. We can never, ever forget that the gospel of love has been safe, it has been safe for slavers and investment bankers and bosses and real estate developers. It is safe when it slides past urban push-out and food apartheid into soup kitchen and calls for unity. It is so easy, so easy to reduce love to a sentiment or a feeling or getting long or something like personal transformation because we want a Jesus who is nice and who helps us be nice to others. But in the Bible, love rarely looks like people getting along. Regardless of their worth or potential, This has little to do with the Jesus that we meet in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 6, Jesus is very clear with us what love is. Love is giving stuff away. Did you notice that? Um, In the course of 10 verses, Jesus mentions giving away, lending, lending without return, some version of that, four different times. It seems like maybe we should pay attention to that. <laughs> um, ironically, I didn't notice that until I probably read this for, you know, these verses like a thousand times. Um, and this is the first time in preparing to preach with, for you that I noticed that. It's so easy to let it pass us by. But Jesus wants us to hear that love is concrete. Love is material. And it is love that draws together this sort of shady, pretty lukewarm group of guys who jump into following Jesus through Judea. And following Jesus is clearly not dependent upon them understanding Jesus' teachings or being perfect. 
If you have read the Gospels, you know that the disciples are a hot mess pretty consistently. But what they do have in common, despite fighting with each other and trying to figure out who is the most awesome among them, what they do have in common is that they leave their old lives behind. Every one of them leaves a job and their families and whatever role they have taken up in these grinding gears of the empire economics, whether it is on the side of destitution or the side of thriving. They spend the rest of their lives living off the generosity of other disciples, of other followers off the land. This is a gospel you can hold in your hands. You can actually feel the weight of it, the solidness of what is asked. And this gospel is an enemy of niceness. <laughs> um, I recently read that one of my alma maters, the one that Peter and I share, um, is organizing a convocation entitled Uncommon Ground, Living with Humility, Patience, and Tolerance in a Divided Age. And I have no doubt that they are responding to the massive breaks in churches that developed during the Trump administration only to be exacerbated by the various responses to COVID-19. That is all so real. But I want us to be wary because there is an assumption in conferences, and sermons like this, in books written to help pastors sort out times of division. And that assumption is that our divisions are not as significant as how we handle them. The real problem this genre in the church wants to tell us is not the death of black and brown people at the hands of police, it isn't the partisan denial of climate catastrophe. It isn't an economy built on the backs of low-wage and undocumented workers. The problem is division, one that can be addressed if we attend to it with humility, patience, and tolerance. I think a lot of us have acquiesced to live with differences that we describe along binaries that we can tolerate and accept. I'm sure you know them as uh, left, right, and center. <laughs> and we use these boundaries to organize our difference um, because this language helps to bury the material reality of what is behind that. Um, Willie Jennings, a theologian who's been significant to me, explains that this way of describing our differences is deception. We are put on what he calls a fictitious journey toward the center because all three positions, left, right, and center, and anything in between, are public fictions. They are public fictions. We use this language because we don't want to talk about what's beneath the surface. We use this language because we prefer to hide behind political constructions that can absorb vagueness into our ethics. 
It's less cumbersome than when we get into the details and what really lies at the root. And at that root is racialized division of our social order that is more than happy to subsume all of us into left, right, and center in every other direction that you want to give it. In my own church, uh, we often talk about Jesus' call to an alternative kingdom. We are neither Republican or Democrat. We recognize the failures of both parties to enact God's reign of love. Even yesterday, watching people from Haiti seeking refuge in this country being rounded up in horrific and violent ways to be sent back to their country. Instead, we are a Jesus people, and our politics is love. All of that is true. All of it. But it also means that we participate in a form of life that is neither compromise or apolitical. Instead, the people who follow Jesus will create material forms of life that exceed even the most revolutionary movements of the first century. I don't think we have any doubt, no doubt at all, that Jesus longs for the liberation of the Jewish people from the grip of Rome. Not once, not once does Jesus put himself as a mediator between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people. He isn't trying to reconcile them. Jesus shares the revolutionary impulse of groups like the Zealots, Jesus is in opposition to the economic and social outworking of Rome, but those who want to overthrow the government with the sword don't actually go far enough. Jesus doesn't need a violent revolution because the reign of God has come. Jesus doesn't need a sword his life is the life of God, multiplying in the good news of those around him. Jesus doesn't want to swap one regime out for another. Jesus puts an end to the endless cycles of empires that rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall again. Remarkably, Jesus offers a politics that will save both those who create the gears of economic and social tyranny and those who are crushed by them. Both, both. Did you hear what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Plain? Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them expecting nothing in return then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Did you catch that? God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's a little confusing because just a minute ago, Jesus had these woes that he was pronouncing on everybody. Remember, woe to you who are rich? How is that gracious and kind? Uh, there's another translation of that word kind in this passage um, that I, 
think helps me to understand where I think Jesus is going. And that word is um, better. He is better to the kind and the ungrateful. He is better to the ungrateful and wicked than they are to themselves. Blessings and woes in the Beatitudes are not prescriptions. They describe kinds of life. Jesus is actually describing for us the kind of life that we live. A life where others are hungry while we are full is a bad life. A life where some people weep and we continue to laugh, that is a bad life. A life where others are persecuted and harmed and bullied while we enjoy respect, that's just a bad life. And how do you respond when you've carved out a different way of being within the reign of God? We give to people without placing them in debt. (laughs) We can remember that the people who receive the words of Jesus about enemy love live in uh, what Joel Green calls a suffocating web of obligation. A suffocating web of obligation. The social system of Jesus' day is something called a patron-client relationship, where life is a series of contracts that produce the social order. Economic and social elites existed in every aspect of ancient life, giving out gifts in exchange for obligation from people from lower classes who then owed them one. The greatest benefactor in the society was Caesar. And listen to how Jesus undermines Caesar's benefaction. It is God who gives rewards. It is God who gives us the reward of being called children of God, not finding our place in the social status and making our way to the top. The absence of obligation from gift cuts out the feet from the, from the system of client-patron relationships in the ancient world. It is a sabotage of the empire. We give this way because it echoes back God's love for the world, a love that is given to us without obligation. We do it because this is who God is. Collapsing a system of friends and enemies, patrons and clients, givers and debtors, determined not by mutual respect or understanding, but through the inversion of economic relations as we know them, is what is at the center of this teaching that Jesus gives his followers. And friends, there are eruptions like this happening all around us. People gather their money to bail poor people out of jail. There's a church called Circle of Hope that creates giving circles to pay off people's debts in their congregation. A few years ago, members of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, began gathering reparation funds in the name of Jehu Jones. Reverend Jones pastored in the Lutheran Church And he was never paid all through his ministry in the 1830s. 
And so in 2019, a group of Lutherans raised the equivalent of his salary for the time he served, $32,000 a year. A group of black pastors will decide how to redistribute the funds to the black community, but especially to black pastors who weren't able to, uh, didn't have congregations wealthy enough to set aside retirement funds for them. The empire economics of the United States, it could not withstand the weight of our giving and receiving without obligation. It could not withstand it. And I'll be honest that I don't expect that to happen anytime soon. <laughs> and I also know that there are people out there acting out the empire obliterating love of unmerited lending, of letting go on hope of return, knowing that others are freely giving to us when we are in need. And if you are here, if you want to be a part of that, among those who make their life in the fragile and vulnerable outpost of the reign of God, in this weighty materialism of the kingdom of God, blessed are you. Amen. a song of response number 389 in Voices Together. We'll do verses 1, 3, and 4.
will sing our song together, sing in harmony. We will sing our song together, whether two or three. Jesus feels our pain, he sets us free. The Spirit's given us this song of hope to sing. God, we surrender, bring us together, bring us together, bring us together. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Um, I ask that for the next three minutes, you talk to those around you about something that really stuck out to you today. Thank you, everyone. Hopefully your conversations were fruitful. Um, I'm just going to highlight a few things that are coming up soon. If you don't mind clicking the calendar. Uh, so coming up on tomorrow is our very first Writer's Read, which will be in Common Grounds, as well as Hymn Sing uh, tomorrow afternoon, or tomorrow night, rather, at 9.30. Um, let's see, on Saturday at 6 o'clock, there will be Spike Ball and Tropical Smoothie. And on Sunday, there will be Celebration at 9 p.m. in Martin Chapel. And so, uh, those are just a few things that are coming up uh, soon. So, take a look at the calendar and see what you might want to go to. I send you with this blessing. Lord Jesus Christ, send us out with confidence in your word to tell the world of your saving acts and bring glory to your name. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>